Are you willing to every single time relax and release, relax and release, relax and relax and release, relax and relax and release, relax and let go? So basically, your spiritual practice happens in your life. Life is your spiritual practice. It is. Life is your spiritual practice. Either it's taking you further away from self or it's bringing you back to self. It is your friend. Everything that happens in life is your friend. Everything that happens is an opportunity to get better at what we're talking about. People always say to me, I understand before I get in a conversation or an argument or whatever it is, right? And afterwards I can come back, but you're not, somebody actually said, but you don't mean that I'm actually there while I'm talking to the person. Of course I mean you're there while you're talking to the person. Of course I mean that every word they're saying and your mind is, motions are doing different things, that you're fully aware of this and you're letting go while it's happening. Relax and release, relax, release, relax, 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 relax. Yes, I do mean that. <laughs> Let's get that straight, right? Every second you are there. At first it's hard. Just keep bringing it back. Relax and relax, 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 relax. The most important thing is that you realize it's the most important thing because it's easy to be involved in the most important thing to you. It is the only rational way to live your life. It's not a religious technique or something like that. It's let's wake up and do something meaningful and reasonable. So you constantly let go. Eventually you will achieve what I call a state of perpetual persistence, persistent, perpetual consciousness, constant consciousness. All right. You're established in the seat of self. What does that mean? You will never ever leave that seat ever again for the rest of your life. No matter what happens, no matter who dies, no matter who leaves you, no matter what happens, all this stuff can come up. You'll know it did, and you will have the right to decide what to do about it. You will. This is the Almost Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, so I don't know how you want to start again. Here we are, right? Infants on Thrones, Almost Awakened, Bill Real, Glenn Osland, which was vice versa from the respective podcasts that they host. Yeah. And you and I are sitting down, We've and you and I have already talked about the first six uh, presentation parts in a series by Michael Singer on the, I think at the topic is The Path to Surrender. Yeah. And you suggested that we tackle this. I'd never listened to this. You'd listened to this several times. It's been Blame it on me, Bill. Deeply influential in your life. Yeah. And so here we are. We finished up. You and I are now revisiting uh, presentation part seven and part eight. And it felt like this, both these episodes were the wrapping up were essentially, here's the technique. We spent the first six episodes saying, here's this present moment unfolding right before your eyes. It took 13.8 billion years to get here. We're not our, we're not, we're not the outside world that we're observing. We're not our thoughts as they enter our mind. We're there. We're not our feelings as those rise up in us. We have these, uh, uh, is it samskaras? Yeah, with an M. Okay. Samskaras, which are the experiences that are good or bad, but lead us to have expectations, either good ones or bad ones that, and it's what we, it's what leads to us feeling disrupted all through the day when the outside world or somebody else's stuff runs up against our stuff. And we talked about that in the past two conversations. And so here we are in the final part. 
And we're now going to tell the listeners how they cannot let the world and other people's stuff run up against their stuff. No, we're not. Did, did I? We're, <laughs> um, we're going to tell them what, what, what to do when the, the world hits their stuff because you can't avoid the world. You can't avoid the stuff. feelings yeah. coming. You can't avoid it. Yeah. So did I, other than that last little part, did I give a decent synopsis? <laughs> I and, think so. Yeah. Okay. You know, there, there are a couple things that, you know, he, he establishes that you're the one that's in there. He says yeah. that a lot. You're in there. And it's not always nice in there. It's not always the most pleasant experience. And, and why is that? And it's because we, we store these things in our mind and he calls them samskaras. And it, it blocks the energy that's coming up from our heart. And we had this homework assignment. You remember that, Bill? Yeah, we talked about was, what this feeling was, this spiritual yeah, high yeah. that he's on. And what is it and how do we get it? And that's really, I mean, I, I think what seven and eight are about is... What's it like to surf on the wave of chi, on the waves of this chi, on this, yeah. this energy, this natural energy, um, and what is it? And uh, so you, you, you framed it kind of as um, you, you understand most of what he's saying up to this point. Like there were, he said, there's, there's three things that are going on, the world coming in through your senses, what you're thinking, and what you're feeling. And they said, but there's, there's this fourth category. There's this chi, this yeah. energy. And you're like, I, I get the first three. The, the fourth one, I'm kind of, eh. So... So where, where are you now on it? What do you think about it? So my wife and I went to uh, Salt Lake City for a wedding uh, this previous weekend. And, and then also we went to Mesquite yesterday. And on both trips, as we're in the car ride, as we're going out and doing things, I tried to keep this Michael Singer presentation all eight parts, kind of, kind of try to be aware of it and think about it and and kind of soak it in as I'm just having life unfold right before me in each of these present moments. And on the trip to Salt Lake, we, we got to about Provo and we finally passed a temple that was close enough to the highway that, that I could see at a temple from, from Mormonism, which is the faith. I have to say this because I don't, I don't like talking about Mormonism on my podcast, but uh, in this instance, I'll have to just because it, it's pertinent to the conversation. So we're passing Provo, Provo, Utah, and here's this edifice of this religion I used to believe in that I feel lied to me. I feel it deceived me. I feel it harmed me in some ways. And I I still carry a little bit of anger, although I've moved on, I think, for most of it. And I still get triggered a little bit when I see those buildings. So we get to the building and I'm intentionally thinking about Michael Singer as I come up on it. And I see it and I get this little sensation that starts to rise up and I go, just relax, relax and release it. Michael Singer, uh, his his formula is R&R, which is to just relax and release it. He says, don't give, don't give that feeling much time. Don't, don't name it. Don't, don't think much about it. The feeling starts to come up and you just relax and release it. And that feeling is allowed to just do what it does and then it moves on. And then you get to move into the next present moment and that feeling is gone and some other feeling comes up. And so you're continually relax and release it. And um, it, it worked when it was these minor things that I could keep Michael Singer's formula on the forefront of my mind, it worked really well. There were other parts of the trip when me and my wife were trying to hash out hard parts of things that were abrasive to each other on and, and the conversation just isn't going the way I want it to go. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm getting, this, I'm getting this stressed out feeling inside me and I'm trying to relax and it's, it's not working that well. And, and so, I, uh, early on, again, I'm going to grant that this is a practice. I'm going to grant that it takes some time and effort and energy to build new habits around this formula. But as of right now, it's a mixed bag. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it really struggles to work. And, and maybe the problem's me. Maybe it's not. But I do th- 
but I, again, coming into this conversation with you, Glenn, and having these three parts that we've talked about, these are spiritual practices that I have on some degree been thinking about and practicing anyway. And, and so I think it works and I think I've got to get better at it. Um, I still don't understand the spiritual energy. So I'll just say this, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm going down the road. I'm having a good time on this trip with my wife. And then something I see disturbs me. I relax and release. And then I'm just right back to having a great day again. And I didn't notice anything extra special about the feelings I was feeling. I didn't notice anything extra special about energy or anything like that. And I'm open to that. I'm not, I'm not closed off to those ideas. But there wasn't something magical. It just seemed like I went back to, and I'm always a guy who, I shouldn't say always, but I almost always wake up on the right side of the bed. I'm always happy. I, don't, I never have really suffered from depression. I've never had suicidal ideology. I've never had to take medicine for depression. I've just always been in a good mood. And my life's always been good enough that I've not had to sweat a lot of things. And um, so maybe it's, maybe it's something I kind of naturally carry around anyway that other people don't, is that positivity and happiness and that peace of mind. Um, but I'm open to a conversation here where somebody, you or somebody after these episodes all release, reaches out to me and say, no, 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 you're missing the boat. It's not just this general feeling of well-being or something extra that comes along that you're not getting. And so I, I guess I'll stop there and let you put in your two cents about all the stuff I just said in the last five minutes. All of it, huh? Okay. Yeah, all of um, it. <laughs> Every drop. Every drop of it. Well, you know, I, I started by asking you about that um, mysterious enigmatic fourth category of chi but where you took it i I found more interesting actually than this idea of of energy or chi because you were talking about trying this r&r technique and whether or not it worked and you said worked probably like five or six times maybe it works maybe it doesn't work i I don't know if it works what does that mean to you for, for a technique like this and especially in that moment where you're driving along the road you see the temple and you start feeling you know like oh you know, like all that stuff that you're feeling inside and you, you relax and release, but it doesn't work. What, like, what does that mean that it didn't work? Well, it worked there. It doesn't work. It seemed to not work in some Oh, when you were disturbances. talking with your wife. Yeah, when and your it wife seemed to work in others. For being so, like, yeah, you know, being a jackass husband or something. Whatever <laughs> stuff I do that runs up against her stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're hashing it out in the car. And so now in this conversation of each of us sharing, like how we can be better partners to each other. Yeah. Um, which part of hashing it out is the R and the R? So, well, I'll just tell you how I did it. So as my wife is saying things and those things are disturbing my insides and I feel a tension starting, I thought, hey, here's a perfect spot to put into practice, Glenn and Michael Singer's. Uh, oh, uh, I got added to I, it. Nice. I, well, yeah, the, you, know, Glenn, you're, you yeah. and I talking about it and you <laughs> suggesting it and introducing it to me and the fact that yeah. it's impacted you. And so I'm putting it into practice and I say, okay, all I have to do here is just relax and release it. So I, I relaxed, I tried to release it and it didn't go away. <laughs> what, what didn't go away? The, the, so the, uh, the um, inability to be comfortable while the feeling rose up within me, right? I couldn't, I couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't be okay with it. It's not that it needs to go away. I understand you're, I seem to be making an argument that it needs to go away to be okay. And you're saying like, it's not going to go away. The feeling's there. It's going to rise up and then it's going to go away when on its own time and some other new feeling will come along and your job's just to sit with it and let it do its thing without assigning, without assigning your, your brain and body having to do something with it. Right. Yeah. Like hashing, hashing things out, you know? So, so when you use that, like we're, we're trying to hash things out. 
like to me, that's the opposite of relax and release. Because when you're hashing things out, what you're doing is you're saying, no, this is what I really mean. No, you don't understand. No, that's not what I said. No, I'm not. And you're in that kind of defensiveness and you're naming it. You're not taking the Thomas McConkie bowl of water and dumping it out. You're you're hashing and that's not relaxing and releasing, right? Right. So we shouldn't talk about things. We should should not uh, sit down together, me and my wife, and hash out the the hard shit of a relationship because it's because I don't think you can exit those because those it's not it's, and giving stories to them when you're doing that it's it's not about you hashing thing like if if it's your stuff that's getting triggered inside of you only you can be the one to relax and release it and it is my stuff my wife is saying like hey you know I'm I'm happier or I'm better off if I do this thing or that thing and um and and those sometimes our spouse being our spouse, they don't do everything the way we want them to do them. <laughs> and do when, ever? no, and, and while they do some things, right. But everything when our partner, when our partner does something that we wish they did it not that way. Um, and sometimes it, we can't sit still in that. And, and the partner needs the space to just be them and to be able to do that thing. Um, I, again, I just, her sharing with me, Hey Bill, if you could just lighten up here and just leave me be here, then I'm going to be happier. And I'm recognizing it's only my ego and my unhealthiness that keeps her from being allowed to do that. So I know it's me. It's my shit that needs to work on. It's my shit I got to sit with. And as I sat with it and just tried to rest in, or uh, relax and release it, 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 it didn't go away. And, uh, and, and again, maybe it doesn't need to. And I don't, know, I don't know what to do with it if it doesn't go away because then, then what, I'm still all worked the, up. What's the it that didn't go away? The feeling, the, the anxiety, the, the change of breath, the... Uh, the feeling that I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't live with the, what she's asking me to be. And nor can I, I can't hold on to being the way that I am and feel good about it. Cause it's my shit that's getting in the way of her. And I can't just compromise and become what she needs me to be. Cause I've got all my samskaras assigned to that thing that's bothering me. So I just struggled to sit with the sensation how long did you sit with it? Uh, her conversation with me, our conversation probably lasted uh, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that disturbed. That was an hour and a half of hashing. Yeah. Right? That, it wasn't an hour and a half of R&R. It was no, for- soon, and, and again, my wife and I are to a point, we've been married 23 years. We've worked out a lot of the, a lot of the shit that we do to each other. And so we, we do have a, a good space that we can throw out constructive criticism and not have it turn into a brawl or a, or a, or a yelling and screaming match where we start assigning, you know, derogatory remarks or anything to each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the, you know, the conversation happened and when the conversation was over, we decided to let it go, move on and enjoy the rest of our trip. So it was gone. So after an hour and a half, you yeah. decided to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Let it go. After there. an hour and a half of hashing and hashing and hashing, you decided. Yeah, and to trying R&R to figure out like, go. can I give, can you give, what's the compromise? What's the, yeah. what's the reasonable request we can make of each other? What can you do? What can you not do? Is it fair that you compromise here when I, when it's really my ego that's getting in the way, you know? Yeah. And then an hour and a half later, uh, I guess eventually I relaxed and released without yeah. knowing it. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he said, he says something at one point in part seven that, or maybe it's part eight, I don't remember which one it is, that, that, that once you really master this technique, you realize that anytime you put up any resistance, you're creating a new samskara that might take 10 years to get rid of. You know, you're putting up some resistance to these things. And so that hour and a half of hashing things out, even though you go, oh yeah, it's, it's healthy. We've, we've developed this really great 
pattern over 23 years of, of doing this, maybe you're still just reinforcing your samskaras and you're still just kind of padding it. And the next time something like this comes up again, you're going to have to do it sure, again for another I'm pretty time. sure I will. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to. Yeah. Does this work for you? Do you feel like you really understand this concept and when stuff runs up against your stuff, you just let it, let it do its thing and let it go. Like eventually yeah. let it go. It just, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's awesome. It's because in, and it's, it's like, I don't need to be right. I don't need to yeah. be right. Yeah. And I don't need to be right. And, 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 and I'm often not. And I don't, and I don't need to argue about this. Um, I'm interested. So I want to listen. So, you know, I'll, and, and, and sometimes that doesn't work either, you know, and like, what do I mean by it doesn't work? Um, you know, like because if, if I'm having these conversations like you were having with your wife and I have it with, with Cammy, um, there's times where I'm triggering her stuff and she's triggering my stuff. And really the only way to relax and release is to kind of talk about it, but just to actually do it. And, and so you, you asked me if it, if it works for me, it does. And, and it's going, okay, I, I can feel that feeling that's coming up in me that is the fight or flight response. You know, th- th- this is my... I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to be defensive because she didn't understand something that I said, or she's misrepresenting something to me. And, you know, I just, that, that can't be, I can't let that go. Like, what is that all about? Like, why is it that I've spent my life feeling like, Oh no, I need this person to understand exactly where it is that I'm coming from. That creates so much stress and anxiety for me and I'm doing it to myself. And so if I stop doing it and I go, okay, let's, let's just not right here and see what happens. And then it kind of, it's just gone. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's like gone forever that I, that like I'm Samskara free. (laughs) I'm not Samskara free, but um, I, I am, I I do think that this technique is effective and it works, but it, it, it only works for me. It doesn't work if I'm trying to change somebody else. That's, that's the complete opposite of what this is like trying to enforce my will on somebody else changing their mind and going, Oh, it didn't work because they didn't change their mind. <laughs> like, right. No, it's, it's, it's me taking away that, that pressure, like from the teapot that's boiling up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to open up the lid and just let all the steam out at once instead of trying to like push it down and hold it down and push it back. And yeah, it works. What does that look like? So let me, let's try to throw out maybe an example or two and you tell me how you would work through it in this new way. Okay. So, uh, I don't know what irritates you or what runs up against your stuff, but I don't know if you're an organized guy and if somebody not loading the dishwasher right does it or no. like, what's your thing? Like, and, and if you're, and if you're willing, whatever the, one of the deeper things are something that really runs deep that you could say, like, you know, it's easy to say when someone doesn't, you know, put the dishes away, but on this really serious thing, I was able to pra- you know, put it into practice as well. But if not, let's pick a minor thing then. And let's at least talk about how, it, what it looks like when you do this right. And again, I get it. Do it right. Do it wrong. Again, in this in this space, nothing's right. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's good. Nothing's bad. Yeah. So okay. Um, the 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 house that Cammy and I are in has a really awesome master bedroom suite. It's like a a two story open suite. So you know, like, and this is where I am right now. I'm kind of like in this loft office area, and I'm I'm looking to my right. There's this catwalk that goes to the other end where there's like bookshelves and there's another desk. And, you know, sometimes I'm sitting here and Cammy's sitting at that desk and we're working on stuff. It's really awesome. There's some stairs that go down and, you know, the bedroom's down there. The bathroom is just below me, which is, it's really cool. But it also, when I'm recording a podcast and I'm like a sound Nazi, it's like, 
I don't want noise. And I can get kind of like an asshole about, <laughs> about like there's, there's noise. You and me both. Yeah. And that's not cool to her. Because then she's like, um, this is my house that you're living in. And you're telling me that I have to be quiet and I have to tiptoe around here. So that's, that's an area where there's times where her stuff comes up against my stuff. Because I'm like, yeah, but you knew that this is what I do. And I need to have this space. She's like, yeah, but if you're doing it too much, then I don't have a place for me. And so just, just the other day, we were having this. Uh, you know, I was, I was recording something up here and she came in downstairs and, you know, there's the sound of the door opening and shutting. And I, I spoke down to her. I said, I said, Hey, are you going to be down here for a while? And she's like, Oh, what? You're telling me to shut up again. You know, like it's what her thinking. Cause I just hit her stuff. And then I, can, yeah. I've recognized, Oh, I've hit her stuff. And so then I went down to try to like smooth it out. And I had this great idea purest intentions in the world. I was, I was going to say, look, I used to be a lot worse. So let me tell you a story about how I used to be and how now I'm much better. And I started telling the story <laughs> and all she could hear in this state was me telling her that she's annoying me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that you don't annoy me anymore because things like this used to, and it doesn't anymore. And I just was digging myself this, this hole by trying to like, I mean, basically trying to manipulate her but basically trying to to get her to understand me and where I'm coming from. And like, and, and it just was, it was frustrating her. It was starting to frustrate me. And so we, we both, you know, she's the one that, that got this eight course series on Michael Singer. She's, she's the one that encouraged me to read the untethered soul. She's, she's very committed to these ideas and it's great being with a person who's committed to it like this, because then when we're in that situation, we're like, all right, I think we need to do a little R and R. And, you know, some people can calm down quicker than others from, from those situations. Um, but both of us have been able to speed up our recovery time there. So we, we kind of sat back to back and did like a little two or three minute meditation where we just kind of like breathed in and out. We just kind of felt each other's backs against each other's back and just kind of let it be. Like realizing we don't want this to be something that really gets in the way of our relationship and you know then i said to her afterwards look if i'm recording up here and there's sound down there who gives a fuck i'm not going to care anymore if your son decides to go and start playing piano which we might hear at some point in today's conversation which would be pretty it'd be kind of cool, cool to have that do. yeah it'd be yeah. kind of cool to have that as a practice in this moment yeah you know oh so what i'm doing this podcast that people are listening to for free if there's some sound in the background <laughs> oh well <laughs> i can deal with it they can deal with it it's not it's not going to be a big deal so let's let's just change the story that we're telling about that, and um, you know, so so there. I mean, there's an example of it. In, instead of that yeah. um, uh, escalating, because both of us really want to come together, we both want to have peace of mind, um, and finding ways to do that in ourselves and taking responsibility, like me taking responsibility for, I was telling you the story because I thought that it was going to have this result, but it didn't have this result. You know, actually that's my fault. I just, I'll stop. I'll stop. So, so when somebody making noise while you're recording that their stuff ran up against your stuff, which is I'm putting out this quality product. I, it has to, you know, the only way this thing is successful and grows is if it has the, you know, the best of sound quality and so whatever, whatever your stuff is inside that says, I've got to put out a good product. I can't have it be disrupted. I can't have people hear things in the background. 
Right. So, so you start to feel this sensation in you based on all these stories over the course of your time podcasting and your yeah, experience we're talking about podcasts. We're and, talking about 10 years yeah. of me doing this, you know, like multiple times a week, sitting down in front of a computer, recording yeah. myself speaking into a microphone and right. then listening back to it. And if I hear, like I remember in the early days of recording, somebody would be like, clipping their fingernails or you know something and I would listen to it and it would just drive me insane and so this, this formed this samskara in me you know that that like sound when I'm recording is triggering to me it it makes me it, ma- it upsets me and yeah. so recognizing that's my stuff that I'm carrying around and so how do I release how do I relax and release that you know I just make the conscious effort when I'm in that moment to go oh it's starting again I'm going to, I'm going to breathe and just, you know, let that sound be there and not worry about it. But, but I mean, that, that's, that's one way of looking at the story that I gave, but the other one is as she and I are interacting with each other and we're trying to figure out how are we going to coexist in this awesome space that we ju- we both chose to be in. And for the most part is fantastic, but every once in a while, there's these little roadblocks that we have. And in this case, it happened to do with, you know, me recording a podcast and not wanting sound in the background. But as we're, we're talking it over with each other and we're, we're both triggering each other more, recognizing it and going, okay, this is like, we're, we're triggering each other more because in my past relationships, I didn't feel understood. And maybe it goes all the way back to my dad. And, you know, like it could go back to all of these things, uh, you know, but another thing that Michael Singer says in here is you don't have to understand you don't have to understand the source of the, where it's coming from. You don't have to understand all the why. You just recognize there's this feeling. There's this feeling that wants to come out. And it's like, I don't know. Did you ever read um, Jonathan Haidt, uh, The Righteous Mind? Uh, I have listened to parts of it. I've got it on Audible. Okay. Uh, I have not read it all the way through, he, but I'm familiar gives, with him. He gives this metaphor of an elephant and a rider. Are you familiar with that metaphor? I think so, but remind me. So the, the elephant... Is, I mean, if, if you've got a, a human being on top of an elephant and the elephant decides he's going to charge in one direction, how much uh, influence does that human, the rider, really have on steering the elephant around? Like if the right. elephant's calm, he can kind of like give him nudges and he'll move, you know, in this place. But like once the elephant gets riled up, it's just going to charge. And, and, and so the analogy that he creates is that the elephant is like our, it's our emotional system. It's our, our feelings. And when we get triggered by something, we just charge and we just go. And our, our reason, our rationality, our intellect is like this, this rider. And uh, the rider doesn't really control the elephant. The elephant controls. And, and that whole book is about moral framework and, and why people are creeped out by this thing or that thing. And is it comes from culture? Is it nurture or nature? Where, where do moral frameworks come from? And basically what he's saying is that, that there are these feelings that we have and we don't really know why we're having it. This is the elephant that's reacting to something. Michael Singer would say something hit your stuff and you've got a feeling that's, that's rising up from it. And so then the intellect steps in. And this is what Jonathan Haidt says about the rider. The rider starts telling stories about why the elephant is responding the way that he's responding. But those stories are usually post hoc. I mean, the, the, those stories come up after the elephant's been triggered. And the stories might say, oh, well, I did this because X, Y, and Z. And I tell this very causal linear explanation. It's very ra- rational, very logical. And it's also baloney. You know, the, the, the writer doesn't really know why the emotions came up, but the writer feels like it's got to tell a story. There's got to be the story as to why. So, so that was very influential on me when I started recognizing that the stories that I'm telling myself about why I'm feeling the feelings that I'm feeling 
are, are usually not right. But I think that they're right, but that's, that's kind of the function of the intellect is to soothe and calm down the elephant. Even if I got to tell you these stories that, you know, this is why or whatever, and just soothes it and calms it down. So adding that with this Michael Singer stuff, when I'm in, in a potential argument, I kind of recognize those feelings are coming up and I'm starting to tell stories to justify why I did what I did. And I really just got to knock it off. And it's what you say all the time. Don't name it. You know, don't, don't tell the story around it. You don't need it. Yeah. Don't need it. Yeah. And I, and I will say like in practice, this works and doesn't work for me, not just Michael Singer, but just this general idea of my wife or I are having a conversation. Me and my friends are having a conversation. Me and my kids are having a conversation and there are things that trigger me and my daughter. Uh, there are things about uh, her emotional unrest that triggers me and I'm now trying to get control of my world again. So I get louder, try to get her to get quiet and it never works. And I do the same thing over and over. And so in the last year or two, again, just maybe going back to what I've said before, which is learning that, look, if you, and I did an episode on this, something the Almost Awakened podcast a couple months ago, where I said, look, all of us have these, these lifetime of experiences and how we deal with our kids, our spouse, our coworkers. And we're doing, sometimes we want the people around us to show up differently. And yet we keep responding to these triggers the exact same way. And we keep getting the same results and we act like we want something different, but do we really, do we really want something different if we do it the same old way? And so I think that when, when you start to, again, be aware that you're aware and you start to go, here it goes again. Here's another one of these similar kinds of experiences. And I can tell if I do this the way I've always done it, we're going to spiral out, end in an argument. Both people are going to go in their separate directions, pissed at each other. Let's do it different this time. Let's just sit. Let's just talk. Let's just figure out a better way. And it really does come to what I think Michael Singer is hitting on, but I can't do it the way he's saying. Maybe I'm doing it. I'm just doing it differently. I don't know. But what happens is I feel that sensation from my daughter saying something or my wife saying something. And I sense inside my head, like this could spiral. This could turn into what it always turns into. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to show up differently. I'm going to keep my voice calm. I'm not going to be the expert trying to fix the problem and send out all this advice that's unwanted. I'm just going to sit and listen and maybe I get one chance to throw in some, some kind wisdom, but not with an effort to try and fix, but just to get them to maybe think about the situation with some of my own experience added in. And it goes completely different. Um, I don't know if that's it, but it feels like these are connected. Like when you show up differently and you don't go into the same old way you've always done it and you recognize that sensation could lead there but you just let that sensation sit there without really impacting your outward behavior. It's like you show up as if that feeling's not there. You treat it as if it's not there. You talk as if it's not there. It, it doesn't yeah. need to get fixed to, based on that sensation. Yeah, I, I, I think I mostly agree with that. I, I, the, he, he makes a statement at one point, kind of early on in episode seven, or, or in, in course seven, that this is not about mind control. You know, if, if, if you're hoping that you're going to be getting techniques on how to control your mind, you're in the wrong place. That's not what this is about. Anyone who's teaching you mind control, pick up your bags, put on your shoes, and run. You don't go in there and say, and a lot of people do this. I did it when I started. That's why I'm here to share with you. I want you to skip the mistakes I made. To sit there and say, you don't go in there and say, my mind is a problem. It's negative. It doesn't shut up. 
It complains all the time. It finds something wrong with everything, right? The lunch isn't as big as it was last time. It's not exactly the temperature that I want. Blah, 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 blah. You don't go in there and say, my mind is a problem. I'm going to shut it up. Anyone who's teaching you mind control, run. Mind control has nothing, nothing to do with spiritual growth. It has nothing to do with this. It is the same as world control. (laughs) Go out there and control the world so that it doesn't bother you. Go out there and control your mind so that you don't have to be so bothered. There is a reason the world is the way it is. I spent a lot of time teaching you that, didn't I? I hope you respect that now, right? There's a reason. The truth of the matter is, and no one likes when I say it, every moment in front of you is perfect. It is the perfect result of every single force that caused it to be that way. Do you understand that? If you took all the inputs from the beginning of time, it would say, wow, that's a miracle. It's exactly right. All right? It's not perfect what I want. It's not perfect morally. It's not perfect any of this stuff, right? It's not optimal necessarily, but it is perfect. Do you understand that? You have to start there to understand it is exactly the way that all the forces would cause it to be, and those forces go back to the beginning of time. You don't go in there and say, my mind is a problem. I'm going to shut it up. It is the perfect result of every single force that caused it to be that way. This is the truth. So it's not about manipulating the world to make it match me, and it is not about fighting with your mind. Do not ever fight with your mind. That's like I'm going to put a knife in two hands, and I'll let my left hand and right hand fight with each other. Guess who loses? Me. So when, when you said um, you act as if that feeling's not there, that kind of sounded a little bit like mind control or, or maybe um, repressing or suppressing or whichever one of those that is. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's pretending that the feeling's not there. I think it's acknowledging that the feeling's there, respecting that the feeling's there. But, but what he talks about is stepping back and this is a concept we haven't brought up before, but it's, it's an important one that he makes. And I don't remember which course it's in. The seat of self, sitting back in the seat of self. And that just means you're the observer. You're observing what's going on and you've created this metacognitive distance between you and the situation. And your ego, right? Your what? ego is detached. Not that, I don't like that framing because Eckhart Tolle says, I, you know, I, the death of my ego, my ego's died. And I just don't, I don't buy that. Yeah. Um, but you sense like the ego is this unhealthy part of you that tries to keep your world always aligned and tries to make everybody else responsible for things that go wrong and tries to justify why you do what you do. And, and so for me, it's observing the ego as a separate piece of me. I, I, always, I often tell people when I'm in these kind of conversations, I say, I, I almost like take my ego, you know, inside my head, I'm pretending to take my ego away from me and kind of set him on my shoulder. So he's still there. I can still feel him, but I, I, he's not in charge. Um, I can feel what he's feeling. I can sense what, what he wants to do and what he wants to say, but he's separate from me and my healthy part of me is going to now operate in this situation and the ego isn't going to have this go the way the ego's always made it go. And, and again, I'm, I'm interrupting you and throwing in my own two cents again. Doesn't bother me, man. I R&R. <laughs> go ahead. Try, try to annoy me, Bill. You can't do it because <laughs> I'm in mind control. No, it's not mind control. Um, no, I, but I, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, this, this, uh, I also don't like the idea that, I don't like the idea that the ego is bad. I don't like the idea that the ego needs to be killed. <laughs> I, I don't think it's even possible for the ego to be killed. I think what's bad is, and I, and I really even hesitate um, using that word bad, but I think when, when it's the ego that's running the show, 
um, without you sitting back in the seat of self and recognizing what's going on. Because then it's just like, it, it's like these automatic programs, if X, then Y. And I think that's what the samskaras are. It's these patterns of preferences, if X, then Y. If this comes in that you don't like, then push it away. If this comes in that I like, then cling to it and don't ever let it go because I don't ever want it to go. You know, it's like, if X, then Y. And that automatic stuff is running the show of your life, whether it's going to be a good outcome or a bad out, outcome. But if, if you take a step back and, you, and you're in that seat of self, then I think you can choose, well, if X, then Y, am I really going to do that? No, maybe I'll do something else. Like you were saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something different than what I've done before to have a different outcome. But, but I think if, going back to what I asked you earlier, what does it mean for it to work? I think if we're looking at the effectiveness of this and how other people are responding, we're looking beyond the mark. I think it's, it's just within yourself. Yeah. Because cause another thing that, that Michael Singer says that I really liked is that once you really master this, it's a, every experience is a win-win situation. Because if, if you're in an argument with somebody and you get upset or they get upset or you're fine or they're fine, either way, it's a win because you're learning something. You're learning something about yourself and, and you're, you're bringing that in and that becomes the purpose of your life. All the different situations you're in are going to bring to you opportunities to bother you. Have you noticed, right? All of a sudden, you just entered a win-win situation. If something doesn't bother you, that's nice. If something doesn't, does bother you, it's wonderful. It's an opportunity to grow. So now, no matter what is happening, you're in there working, enjoying, growing yourself, expanding yourself. It all becomes a positive experience at some level, right? It's just like if you play a sport. Fine, if you're winning and you're better than the other team, that's wonderful. If the other team is better than you, Every single play, you're learning something. You understand that? You're, you're becoming better at the sport. There, that's a wonderful attitude. You're not losing, right? You win either way. Right now, we're set up in a lose-lose situation. No matter what happens, we lose. That's why we have so much trouble, right? Once in a while, something goes the way you want, but then it fades. If you want to grow spiritually, you can. It does not cost money. It does not take time. It has nothing to do with your status in life or your age or anything. It has to do with your attitude about what is the purpose of your life. So you have now set the purpose of your life to exploring the depth of your being. Well, that's what spirituality is, right? And, and it isn't like you have to wait to the end. You know, they say when you die, you'll go to heaven. No, 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 stuff, right? You constantly grow. I die daily, St. Paul said. <laughs> okay? You're constantly growing. You're constantly releasing parts of your being and you will become higher and higher higher happier happier higher higher happier like he says um i die daily which means that the the old parts of me have been updated by this newer experience where i've relaxed and released and now tomorrow i'm going to be a different person than i was today and and actually in every breath i take i'm a different person physiologically but you know the subtle differences but you're you're saying this is this is what it means to be spiritual i'm going to be doing this inner work on myself i'm recognizing that i've i've got all of these samskaras all of these things that i've created through the course of my life and so what i'm going to dedicate my life to now is dissolving them like plop plop fizz fizz oh what a relief it is it's just going to like fizzle fizzle up and you know maybe you'll belch and get rid of it yeah, there was a specific moment in our uh, our driving in Salt Lake City where my wife and I are talking about her stuff running up against my stuff and me me realizing like okay there's this sensation 
I, I want to tell her how she, if she loves me, she should compromise and give me all the things that I need in this situation to be feel safe and to be comfortable, to be happy, to have peace. Wait, you said if she loves you, then she just lets you have your way all the time? Right, right. Which is, that's the thought in my head. That's the ego going like, plead with her that this is just too much to ask of you and you're just too uncomfortable. And so well, you, also, you deserve, it, you deserve also, someone to compromise to fit your, fit your stuff. Yeah, but it's also it's also you putting the conditions of happiness on her on her, not on you. If right. you act in this way, then I'll be okay. Right. So I sat there for a minute, I felt the feeling, and I thought, okay, let's practice this. I just sat for a moment. I just tried to relax, tried to release it. Uh, and the closest I could get in this moment was to have this moment of clarity where I said, you know what? Inside my head I'm going, you know what, this is me. This isn't this is my unhealthiness that needs her to be something different. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit with it. Like I'm just going to sit with this sensation and continue to engage her in a positive conversation and not, not spire, not, you know, not derail the conversation pleading for her to change her stuff to fit mine. Yeah. And, uh, and if that's what we're talking about, that seemed to work. Okay. Um, but, but, it, but it, it didn't work great but it worked okay. It worked enough that we could continue on in our time and not, not have me derail us into making her change her stuff. Yeah. And I, so I guess if we're talking about whether this works or not, in this situation, I would ask you, have you been able to completely surrender your need for her to be different in order for you to be okay? No, I'm sitting with, I need to not compel her, coerce her, um, manipulate her into changing her stuff just because it runs up against mine. And, so I'm not the, there where I've made peace with it. I'm still struggling with it. Yeah. But and whether, not, whether yeah. you're compelling her or manipulating her or not, like what are you holding inside? Like, do, do you, do you still, do you still believe that if she acts differently, then you'll, I'll be okay better? in those moments. Yeah, yeah, I do. And, but it's not, it's not, it's not okay for her to change her stuff. That's not, what do you mean? It's not um, if if you like, and again, I'm trying to. I'm. This is a. It's a really personal thing, so I'm not going to go into what the specifics of what we were arguing about was. Sure. But, but if I like Indian food and she likes uh, Italian food, and we're arguing over like, look, every Wednesday I just want to go get Indian food, and and she's like, well, I want to get Italian food. At, at some point, I got to stop trying to make her go where I want her to go. She gets to show up as her. And, yeah. and she gets to enjoy the present moment unfolding before her. And she shouldn't have to compromise how she lives her life just so that my insides aren't feeling some turmoil because my ego goes, I need her to be this way. So I feel safe. I need her to be this way so I can be happy. Yeah. We all get to show up as we are and we all try to be healthy to each other and to be kind and compassionate and all those good positive traits. But even when we're being our best self, it runs up against another person's best self. And, and then the person who it ran up against is going like, hey, stop doing that. Stop, stop making noise, walking around, getting yourself a glass of water while I'm recording a podcast, right? Yeah. This is where being twice divorced, Bill, has some real advantages. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I should divorce my I think wife. Maybe, honey, I came home tonight. I had an epiphany. Glenn, <laughs> just, Glenn, Glenn told talked me. me into divorcing you. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I'd but, remarry but, her again. What's that? I'd remarry her again. I'm, that's sweet. That's, that's, that's wonderful. That's <laughs> wonderful. I, I'm happy to hear that. Well, what, I'm, what I mean, Bill, is that you know, in, in my first marriage, I was so afraid all the time of upsetting her or you know, doing anything that would lead to divorce because that just seemed like 
that was the that would be the worst possible thing for myself for my kids it's just you know if i'm going to put it in the terms of cognitive distortions i was catastrophizing this idea of divorce and then it happens and i go through it and i realize okay i'm still all right my kids are still okay things aren't ideal they're not like the way that i wanted them to be but i haven't lost the ability to have a good day i haven't lost the ability to be okay I haven't lost the ability to love and be loved. Um, and, and so whatever it is that's telling you that if, if my wife doesn't come with me to eat Indian food on Wednesday nights, I'm, you know, this is going to be a catastrophic Yeah, all the shit's going to hit the fan, right? All the shit's going to hit the fan. You know, that's, it's just, that's just bullshit. It's not true. It's not true. It's not. But, but the, the more that you're holding on to it and the more that you're arguing for it, the more that you're hashing it out, the more you're keeping that alive. And that's one of these blocks then that isn't allowing you to feel that enigmatic chi energy, which, and maybe, maybe in this case, it's just the, the love that you have for your wife that tells you, I would marry her again in a heartbeat, you know? And so like, what are these little arguments for, uh, doing? What are they about? Why are they, why are they, they necessary? He does another thing. Uh, it's either in seven and eight where he's talking about doing like a risk to benefit situation. And he's like, there's, there's 100% risk. There's zero benefit. What benefit is coming out of this argument? What benefit right. is coming out of holding on to this, this lie that if she's with you on Wednesday night to eat Indian food, then you're going to be okay. Right. Cause then it'll be something else, right? Yeah. I mean, you go eat Indian food without her yeah. and maybe you'll realize, Oh, actually I, I prefer being with her more than the type of food that we eat. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I'm, I'm in my head still wrestling with all of this and yeah. thinking about it. And as I, again, I, I like the name of the podcast. I do almost awakened because I think all of us should never consider ourselves there. And if we do, then we're really probably not that awakened at all. And um, it, this is a process. And so I'm sitting with what Michael said, what you and I have talked about and trying to Stop assigning stories to the sensations I feel and stop needing to manipulate the outside world so that I don't feel those things because I'm going to feel them. Till the day I die, I'm going to feel these things. And maybe I don't feel the ones I'm feeling today, but it'll be something else next week. Yeah. And, and awaken doesn't mean that you're perfect and that you do it all perfect. But uh, I mean, you're pretty awakened, Bill, from my perspective, to just being open to look at yourself being open to take responsibility for these kinds of things, but, you know, be, being open to this, like being open to the idea that there is an ego that is a part of you, but isn't the whole you. I hope you got that, right? You are the problem. You can't solve it outside by doing anything. So you come back into a situation of disciplining yourself to say, if I'm claiming I'm on a spiritual path, it's 24-7. It is not what you do on your weekends. It is not that. It's literally 24-7 for the rest of your life. Period. <laughs> it's what's really, really important. It will determine the quality of your life. And so what you're going to see is as you relax through these things, and I'm telling you, you really do it. Just relax. It doesn't take time. You can still go to work. You can still be married. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, if you do this, I'm serious and get serious about it. About what? My life is devoted to letting go of this garbage I built inside of me. So that if it takes just one moment of one breath, I want to be able to breathe what it's like to be me, <laughs> right? And you're not going to find you out there. You're not going to find you in your mind. It is you who's relaxing and releasing. Then the next thing that you do, all right, is sit there and say, 
I ain't putting any more in here. It's bad enough I got all these in here. But if something happens in life and I see resistance inside, I'm going to take the time to let go. I don't care how big it is or how small it is, right? I'm going to, if somebody says to me, they're talking to me and I don't like what they said, the mind starts going, the first thing I do is remember, if I resist this, it's staying in there. It takes one second for it to get in and it could take 10 years for you to get it out. Do you understand that, right? Okay, get wise now. You will come to a point if you let go enough times that the driver in front of you will not bother you the way they're driving, right? In fact, you start to have fun with it. Five, 10 miles an hour below the speed limit, try 20, it's a world limit. Come on, this is fun, <laughs> right? You can have fun with things. You're the only one in there, right? You decide the quality of your life. You decide the quality of your life. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think you're more awakened than almost awakened. <laughs> I'm pretty much awakened. <laughs> new podcast so for the listeners i you know i i think as you pointed out last time everybody should get this eight-part series and listen to it uh i would also maybe in this last episode i'd like to recommend some other books and maybe you can throw some other things out too because you and i were talking about maybe a follow-up conversation that we have around another presentation yeah but i think there are other books that go hand in hand with michael singer um, I can think of a few. Ruiz's The Four Agreements, and then, his, and then the second follow-up book by him and his son, The Fifth Agreement. Yeah. Um, there's Unfuck Yourself. There's um, certain books like Sapiens and Civilized to Death and Sex at Dawn and Mating in Captivity that are also teaching us to recognize that all of us humans see the world different from each other. And if you need another human being to be on the same page with you all the time, it's, it's never going to work. And that you need to realize that we're just evolution is built within us this this tribalism and and once you realize that everybody is a completely different person, Michael Singer makes the point that you think you look different. You and I look different. If you think you and I look different, based on what we are inside our heads, we are physically identical twins. Like the stuff inside our heads is so different that even as you think you look different from somebody, that difference is so minuscule compared yeah. to how you think inside your head. And that I that I can. I can talk about like that, that makes complete sense to me as I've sat with my wife and we've begun to be vulnerable and to talk about what's really going on inside of our heads. As we use language, the language is different. The experience is different. Our expectations of what we need or want or desire is so different. And so we, we now kind of give each other space to go like that person didn't respond like I want them to, but why the hell would they? They're not me. Why would they respond with the words I need them to respond with? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I know in my life, I've put a real premium on understanding and like wanting to understand other people, wanting to be yeah. understood. Yeah. And it's just impossible. Um, it, it, it's really it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's impossible because, you know, when my, and Michael Singer does a really good job. I, you know, I've shared it with friends that have said he's a little repetitive and it gets a little tedious. And, you know, maybe, but I, I liked the repetition. It really helped these concepts sink in because he, he gives so many different examples and he'll spend an hour, you know, moving, moving one inch, <laughs> maybe. It, it moves further than that. But, you know, it, it's a lot of repetition. And um, when he talked about how everything that I've ever seen from my perspective, like no one has ever seen what I've seen from my perspective moment by moment, by moment, by moment, every place I've ever been, even, even, you know, my siblings and to tie it back to Mormonism for a minute, I, 
and I don't remember if I said this to you on a previous uh, conversation or not. I may have, but um, I was asked once, somebody was talking to me about how they were forced to go on a mission and how uncomfortable that was and that they just didn't really even have a choice. And, you know, isn't that terrible that the church forces people to do that? And I'm like, but you know, my brother, right? (laughs) He didn't go like, and we grew up in the same family. We grew up in the same ward. We had all the same leaders, the same parents, but he hung out with a different group of friends. He grew up five years younger than me. His experience of life and his personality, his makeup, he's a complete, like he's very, very different than I am and always has been. And so to, to make a sweeping statement that's like, oh, the church forces people and nobody ever has a choice. I mean, that's another, that's, that's doing other work and other kinds of fictions that are, that are there. But, you know, like my, my brother in that case, he's his own person. And, and for me to go in and think, oh, well, I can understand where he's coming from. I can understand what his experience of life is. I mean, I can try and empathy is important. And I don't, I don't say don't try to empathize with people. But for me, instead of placing the premium on understanding them, it's been more on accepting them and, and yeah. accepting that even though I can't understand as, at, at a level that I'd like to, like I'd really like to get in the weeds and understand all the weeds, I can take like a 30,000 foot level and go, oh, I can kind of understand this. I, but mostly I just accept it. Yeah. I can accept it how it is and not push up against it and not cling onto it and like, oh, well, this has to stay the same always. I can't let this go or I'll never be happy or I can't ever have this happen to me again or I'll never be happy and you know things like that. Um, yeah. Acceptance. I can, I can relate in that when it comes to me and my wife, for instance, we've begun to let go of needing the other person to see the world our way or for us to understand them and why they do what they do. And instead, just to be content that we enjoy being in the same space together. We enjoy being in the same room. We enjoy holding hands and watching TV. We enjoy going on a hike together. We, whether we're processing the world as it's unfolding in front of us, the same way is completely separate from whether you enjoy a certain person as a human being and whether you like being around them. And again, that doesn't mean that we won't have bad experiences and it doesn't mean that you won't have to be around people that you don't like being around. I, I just think it's, it's, to, it's to just accept, and I think Michael points to this, it's accepting the world as it is. You, you're not going to change this moment. This mo- you might be able to change another moment in the future, but in the present moment, you can't change any present moment. It, it, it just happened. It's happening right now as it's happening. And I, and I think that once you're really able to accept, like whatever happens, I'm going to accept it. I think then you can assert some of that will that you have to be creative and playful with it. And, and he gives some examples of how to do this. And like if, when you're recognizing, oh, I'm, I'm sitting in the seat of consciousness, I'm surrendering this moment, I'm going to feel good about it. Boy, I'm going to pat myself on the back and go, this is great. This is my life's purpose. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm trying to be more accepting. I'm trying to be more loving. And even gets to the point of saying any experience, anything that happens is my friend. It's my teacher. And like getting to that place and anything, anything that happens, not only is okay and you accept it, but you say, this is my friend because it's teaching me something. I, I like that idea and I've touched it. I've tasted it. Yeah. I'm not always there, hmm. but I'm, I'm there a lot more than I ever thought that I'd be able to be. Yeah. And um, hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool place to be. I like it. Again, I'm, I'm telling the audience that I'm somewhat struggling with the process, but yes, more way. Again, I've done this kind of work away from this particular series and yes, much more of it today than a year ago, much more in the last year than five years ago. And sure as hell night and day difference from what I did when I was, you know, 20 years old, newly married. 
Um, you said this brought up other things for you, this, this conversation that we've had and then listening to the series again to prep for this conversation. You said there were other things that came up that you wanted to talk about. What are, what are some other things that you thought we kind of uh, should talk about or hit on and that oh, were interesting? I've got a couple that I'm going to keep concealed up my sleeve, Bill, because they, they can get a little weird and a little wooey. Okay. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> so, so I'm gonna, I'm going to wait on those, but but I think the the thing that I'd like to talk about next with you is is another perspective of what surrender and letting go is, and this is a book by David Hawkins called Letting Go, and um, I shared with you some audio from that book, so you'll take a yeah, listen to it. I'll start um, that tonight, and um, he he presents it in a slightly different framework. I think some of the some of the techniques that he discusses will sound very familiar to you, not only from things that you heard from Michael Singer, but you know things you've heard from Thomas McConkie and others. Um, but he he creates a framework, and I forget. I think he calls it a spectrum of consciousness. It's something like that that I found really fascinating and really compelling. And, and like if if you wanna if if you really want to see how am I doing in this whole process, where am I going? Like, what's, what's my ultimate goal? Where do I want to be? What kind of feelings do I want to be feeling? If, if I've got this mysterious chi energy that is love, as, as he described it, it's just pure joy, how, how do I get to where I'm able to feel that all of the time? All of the time. <laughs> yeah. How would you do that where you can feel that all of the time? And what are the things that get in the way? What are the things that block it? And can you identify what they are? And I'll give you a sneak peek. Is it shame? Is it guilt? Is it fear? Is it apathy? Is it pride? Is it anger? Those, all, it sound, those all sound close to home. Yeah. Is, is it neutrality? You know, he, he, he talks about this range of emotions and, and he did a, he wrote another book that was really influential that he built on for this, this one. And I think it's called Power, uh, uh, power Versus Force or Force Versus Power. And I've read that one too. The, the, the ideas in that get reiterated in Letting Go. I prefer Letting Go to Force Versus Power. But, um, and, and some of it I, I kind of take literally and other things I take metaphorically, but either way, it, it, it helped me to take these concepts from Michael Singer because the, the biggest takeaway for me with Michael Singer was this idea of a samskara and that I created it. You know, like I don't control the world that's around me. Like the world that's around me has been in place, you know, 13.8 billion years of things lining up just amazingly the way they did to bring in this moment right here. But I'm the one that says whether I like this what's going on or whether I don't, whether I want more of it or whether I want less of it. And that has such an impact and influence on the way that I feel about life and about myself and about people around me. That was my biggest takeaway from, from Michael Singer. Since I'm the one that authored that unconsciously throughout the course of my life, now that I've woken up to the, the role that I played in doing that, now I've got a choice. Am I going to keep doing it with my eyes closed? Or am I really going to go into this and try to, you know, relax and release when I feel these things coming up and take that responsibility and go, yeah, I'm not going to respond the way that I used to. I'm just kind of let this flow and see what happens, see where it goes and trust. Mm, yeah. And trust. And, and so what happened then with the David Hawkins stuff is it kind of said, okay, once I, once I became comfortable with that, now what's my ultimate destination? Where do I want to go? And can I trace where I am? Can I see where I am on that path? Like, am, am I usually feeling guilty or shameful? Am I usually in pride? I found myself in, in, a, in pride a lot. <laughs> and and um, so it, it, it's like a way to kind of focus in a little bit closer and was a really cool follow-up for me with Singer. So that's, that's my 
suggestion. Mm, I love all that. And a lot of that feels close to home. Like a lot of that is stuff that I think about and wrestling with. Um, You know, we have this, me and my wife both, you know, if our friends get together without us, like there's some, whatever you want to call it, jealousy, um, certainly pride. Like, why are my friends meeting without me? And do they, you know, you worry whether, you know, are you still liked or loved? But we can spend so much energy worrying about why we're not involved in an experience that people we care about are involved in. And, and the reality is that, you know, we do things without everybody too. Like we do things with a select group. And so when those kinds of things happen, you know, my wife sometimes goes like, oh, you know, maybe they, maybe they don't like us anymore. And I just go, yeah, I just don't want to get lost in that story. Yeah. My gut tells me everything's just great. And if we just stop telling that story, we get to go right back to life being good right here, right now for us. And next time we see our friends, it'll, they'll give us a big hug and things will be just like they were only a little different. Right. Mm-hmm. I just don't think generally the world, generally the world isn't unfolding the way we want to waste energy anticipating. And if we just let it be, it just, it's going to unfold as it does. Sometimes it'll be bad. Sometimes it'll be good, but it's almost never what we're preparing ourselves for. It's never what we're telling stories about. And so I think we can, in these present moments where, and, and I'm happy to stop rambling on about it, 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 in these present moments, we can stop getting lost in narratives that simply waste our energy, waste our joy, waste our peace of mind, and just let it be. And, and I think that goes in line with what he's saying. I'm, I'm just, well, I guess my struggle is just trying to feel this new chi energy, because I think if I could go through this experience and go, look, there's the there's that peak energy feeling that everybody's talking about, then I could, I could see that as the reward for doing this the right way. And, and I'm, I'm not feeling that yet. So I'm going to keep practicing. Next time you don't have a conversation about something else, let's revisit this and see how this practice is unfolding. Do do you meditate? No. Um, Once in a great while, but I mean, we're talking once or twice a year and maybe less. Okay. I'm, I'm around meditators and it seems to be a secret to their growth. To some degree, I've experienced similar kinds of growth without having to meditate. And so I've kind of said, I don't need it. <laughs> and I don't have time for it, right? But the reality is I need it and I do have time for it. Just as much time as the rest of us. Yeah, just as much as the rest of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I started meditation maybe a year and a half ago. And um, I don't do it every day but it's, it's helped. It's helped. And so like, if you're, if you're talking about wanting to feel that chi, um, I think that's, I think that's the way. And, you know, I imagine that when you were, um, I mean, cause, cause you were a, a convert to Mormonism, really gung ho, you loved it. I imagine you had a, a lot of spiritual experiences. Yes. You felt the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Very powerful. Some that very I powerful. even today would struggle to redefine and give a new interpretation to. Yeah. Um, to, to me, that, that feeling of chi is, is what religious people call the Holy Ghost. Um, that, that, that's one name for it. And I think, I think a lot of times that feeling could be just um, like, oh, I, I'm, I'm hearing a song that I really like, or I'm at a concert, I'm out in nature or something, and just feeling like this, this appreciation. But I, I think the way that Michael Singer would describe it is that in those moments, the samskaras aren't blocking that feeling. They're kind of enhancing it because you like this moment. You know, that, that experience that you talked about last time about um, being in Las Vegas. Yeah, Fremont Street. Yeah, my dad and my um, wife. And, and, you, and you felt that. Um, I, because like right now, as we're sitting here, 
if I'm silent, I feel that inside of me. I feel it. And it's that, it's that same, it's that like still small little Holy ghost feeling that if you think it's just bullshit, you're you're not going to feel it. But if you're like, okay, I'm going to quiet my mind. I'm going to quiet my cynicism and I'm just going to feel around my heart area. Is there something there? Is there some kind of a warmth? Is there some kind of peace? Is there some kind of stillness that's in there? Like in, in meditative practices, focusing on that feeling and it can grow. And, you know, like the way that Michael Singer talked about it was that it like, like as like a Kundalini energy that rises up through your chakras. And it's using all of this language that, I mean, I listen to that and I start shutting down too, because I'm like, oh, that's woo woo stuff. I mean, I don't want any part of that. But if I'm really being honest with myself, I do feel that. And I feel it more now than I did in more recent years. But as a kid growing up in the church, when I would do things that, you know, were good and I would get that kind of attaboy Scooby snack reward of feeling the Holy Ghost, I I had those spirit experiences a lot of, of feeling the spirit. And it was something that, yeah, when I, when I started my faith crisis and started rejecting all of that stuff, it, it, it went away in some ways I found it in other places. And, but so I, I think it's, I think it's there. I think everybody has access to it. I think everybody feels it at different times, whether you're recognizing it or not, because you're worrying about this or that. And you know, that those, those physical feelings and emotions can be really strong and overpowering and cover it up. You could almost call it bathing with God, right? <laughs> Good. A bubble bath. A bubble bath. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I relate to all this. So I'm, I'm appreciative that, you know, you, you, saw me as somebody that you could introduce this eight-part series to and have a have a conversation with and around this stuff. And it certainly has been beneficial to me. This yeah, is the stuff that, I want to yeah. swim in on a regular basis. So yeah. Yeah. So I've been I, I was I was happy to to stumble across and go, oh, I wonder what Bill Reels up to. Oh yeah, he's doing this almost awakened podcast and you know thought that you'd be interested in the bathing with God stuff. And yeah. then your response to that and talking, I'm like, okay, well, let's see if you want to talk about this. So I was really happy when, uh, when you said, yeah, let's talk about it. I love, yeah, and, no, I love and, it. And last time when you said, let's do more, I'm like, yeah, all right, be careful what you ask for. Cause I've got a lot in here. Well, good. Um, I, I, I am excited. Like, let's, let's see where the next one goes. And then maybe yeah. after that, if maybe I can point us to a couple of things. Oh yeah. And we could talk about a few things too. Sure. Um, Cause there's a few things. Um, there's a little tiny clip. It's about a three minute clip from Jordan Peterson. Okay. Uh, and I know there's a lot of, it's a very partisan person, right? He, you either hate him or like him. Um, but there's a few things that he says in this three minute clip that I could literally talk for an hour on that have to do with this bathing with God, Michael Singer type space and okay. what God is and how, how we treat the, the knowing and unknowing of what that, what that unknown thing is and, and how close we can get to it before we start to express certainty. And then the moment we express certainty, we, we show our cards that we really are nowhere near it, right? We're nowhere next to it. And, and the people who seem to be the wisest voices seem to tiptoe around it. What is that thing that's beyond our knowing? And, and religion comes in and goes, oh, we know exactly what it looks like. It's got a six inch beard. It's got long hair. It lives in this place. It died on one day and rose three days later. And and I think the moment you name it, I think you show your cards that you really don't know what it is. I think it's more mysterious than that. And so your bathing with God was touching to me because it played in the space of, I can't really define it, but I'm also going to try and tiptoe around the edges of it. And I think that's as close as the experts can get. Yeah. 
Well, that sounds good. Yeah, send me that that Jordan Peterson clip. And, and if there's other books or eight course series that you want me to go through that you've got the advantage on and I'm going through for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm, I'm, yeah, let me know. Cool. And in the meantime, I'll start the next one. Sounds good. Anything else you want to cover in this conversation? You know, I, I think maybe, maybe what I'll do is I'll send you a clip that we could tack onto the ed, end of this one to kind of tease what that um, letting yeah, go stuff is because be I recorded something for my Patreon supporters I think I just published it there. I don't think I published it to the general audience, but I may have. And it's something that I took out of um, the book, Letting Go, that it's just saying anytime anything happens to you in your life, you could respond in a variety of ways. And so David Hawkins gives the example of getting into a minor fender bender. And then he says, here's what it's like when you respond from a place of grief. Here's what it's like when you respond from a place of fear. Here's what it's like when you spend, you know, and so he gives these examples of it and that put it into a really nice framework for me to be able to go, Oh yeah, yeah, I get this. I understand that there are different like legitimate ways that somebody could respond to the same thing. And that's kind of an indication of where they are. And um, so I'll send you that clip and then okay. you can insert it right here. Yeah, here, here, here. Let's say for example, that we parked our car and just as we get out, the car parked in front of us backs up into our car with a thud. Our bumper and the front fender are dented. Here are some different responses. And, and try to identify yourself. How would you respond if this happened to you? If you're responding out of shame, it might be, How embarrassing. I'm such a lousy driver. I can't even park a car. I'll never amount to anything. Or it could be a guilt response. I had it coming. How stupid I am. I should have done a better job parking. Response from apathy. What's the use? Things like this always happen to me. I probably won't collect on the insurance anyway. There's no use talking to the guy. He'll just sue me. Life stinks. Grief. Now the car is ruined. It'll never be the same. Life is grim. I'll probably lose the bundle on this one. Fear. This guy is probably furious. I'm afraid he'll hit me. I'm afraid to talk back to him. He'll probably sue me. I'll probably never get the car fixed right again. Car repair people always rip me off. The insurance company will probably get out of this one, and I'll be the one left holding the bag. Desire. I can make a bundle on this one. I think I'll hold my neck and fake a whiplash. My brother-in-law's a lawyer. We'll sue the pants off this idiot. I'll get a settlement on the highest estimate and get it fixed at a cheaper place. Anger. The damned idiot. I think I'll teach this guy a lesson. He deserves a good punch in the nose. I'll sue his pants off and make him suffer. My blood is boiling. I feel shaky with rage. I could kill the bastard. Pride. Look where you're going, you fool. Oh, God. The world is full of such bumbling idiots. How dare he damage my new car? Who the hell does he think he is? He's probably got cheap insurance. Thank God mine is the best. Courage. Oh, well. We both got insurance. I'll take down the data and handle it okay. A nuisance, but I can handle it. I'll talk to the driver and get it settled out of court. Neutrality. These things happen in life. You can't drive 20,000 miles a year without an occasional fender bender. Willingness. How can I help the guy calm down? 
He doesn't need to feel upset about it. We'll just exchange the necessary insurance information and be okay with each other. Acceptance. It could have been worse. At least nobody's hurt. It's only money anyway. The insurance company will take care of it. I suppose the guy's upset. That's only natural. Such things just can't be helped. Thank God I'm not running this universe. It's only a minor nuisance. Reason. Let's be practical here. I'd like to take care of this as quickly as possible so I can get on with the day's activities. What's the most efficient way to resolve our problem? Love. I hope the guy isn't upset. I'll calm him down. He says to the other driver, relax, it's all okay. We've both got insurance. I know how it is, it happened to me just the same way. It was a minor dent and we got it fixed in a day. Don't worry, we won't report it if you don't want to. We can probably deduct it and avoid a raise in our insurance premiums. There's nothing to be upset about. He reassures the upset driver, putting an arm on his shoulder in fellow human camaraderie. And the last one, peace. Well, isn't that fortuitous? I was going to have the rattle in my bumper fixed anyway, and the fender already had a little dent, so now I'll get it fixed for nothing. Say, aren't you George's brother-in-law? You're just the guy I wanted to see. I have some great business that I think you can handle for me. We'll both benefit. You look like the right person to research it for us. How about a cup of coffee and we talk it over? By the way, here's my insurance card. Say, that's the same company as yours. What a coincidence. Everything's working out for the best. No problem. Walks off humming with a new friend, the incident already forgotten. Okay, so that last one's a little, a little over the top with Pete's. But you get the idea. Were you able to locate yourself? in there like how do you think your response would be and do you have a choice do you have a choice on how to respond all right love it love it let's re-engage again next time okay okay have a great day glenn i will take it easy all right see you man this has been another almost awakened episode check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes make a donation to keep this podcast running Email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.